you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman hi everybody it is great to be back with you again you're saying to yourself betsy this month the episodes have been a little all over the place normally you release right as rain on thursdays and this month it's been a little erratic and i'll tell you guys there are two reasons why the episodes have been a little all over the place. The first is that I have run out of questions. This mailbag is officially empty. After today's episode, I will have nothing else to talk about. And that's a real problem because I want to help you with your design dilemmas. So please fill my mailbag back up. All you have to do is go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. There's a little button there that says, fill out this form to submit your question. It is so quick, could not be easier. And if you have photos of your issue, so much the better. So I can give you really specific, helpful advice. But even if you just have a general question for me, do not hesitate to reach out and just head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast, because otherwise, who knows what I'm going to talk about? Well, I guess we'll find out what I'm going to talk about in the next episode, but I'd much prefer to follow your lead and answer your burning questions. The second reason that things have been so erratic is that my life has been really erratic. You all know that every weekend I'm out seeing houses and all these random places and making offers and losing to all cash bids or Bitcoin money. It's been exhausting. But the real problem is that two weeks ago, my daughter tested positive for coronavirus. Then my husband tested positive for coronavirus. And it's so devastating because we've been so careful. We've been not seeing friends. We've been not going to activities. We've been skipping friends' weddings. Like We've been making a lot of sacrifices to stay extra safe, especially because the Northeast has been particularly prone to outbreaks. I've been missing tons of theater productions and just twiddling my thumbs at home, especially because it's been so cold that it's not like you can meet up with friends outside and have a safe dinner or even a cocktail. It's been lonely. So they get coronavirus and my son and I check into a hotel because with my job, I cannot afford to be 
down for a week. I have to stay as safe as possible so I can keep my clients safe, so I can keep podcasting for you, so I can keep my business running. There was just no time to get really sick. And my husband got really sick. He'd been vaccinated twice, boosted, and still he wound up in the ER with a potential blood clot. So that was a thing. So finally, after seven days, we move back. Life is good. My daughter is so energetic. My husband is so energetic. My mental health is a little uh, questionable, and the house is in a really sad state. But I managed to get everything clean. I'm feeling like there's been a return to normal. And then we have a death in the family. And my husband has to go to Los Angeles to go to the memorial service. And when he arrives in Los Angeles, he lands and he has a major fever. He starts coughing and it turns out he has coronavirus again. So he checks himself into the hotel. He starts coughing. He misses the funeral. And ultimately, he winds up back in another ER because he's coughing up blood. Oh, my gosh, guys. You do not want to get this. If you're not masking, please consider it. I have like masks everywhere in my handbag, in my pockets, in my coat, in my jacket. Oh my gosh. So it's still out there. It's still real. It's still impacting people. My husband is a very healthy, young, vital man who was vaccinated and cautious and it's been real. Real problematic, real sad, real expensive, real distracting, real difficult. And so thanks for bearing with me while I release episodes in a somewhat uh, different schedule. All right. Now, I do have three lingering questions that I'm going to answer today. So here we go. Without further ado, let me dig right in. My first question comes from Bobby. Bobby is from Nova Scotia, Sackville, to be specific. And she writes, Hi, Betsy. I love your podcast. It's helped me in so many ways as I recently sold my home and I didn't have any one kind of style. I was able to choose neutral colors and stage my home in a way that showcased its best qualities. We are in the conditional stages of buying a new home, but because of the current housing market, our closing date may not be till the end of June. My parents are going to be moving into the basement, and we're going to put in a kitchen for them so they have their own separate space. My question is about kitchen cabinet color and how to choose the best finishes. My stepfather is a mechanic, and therefore he has made his mark, i.e. greasy fingerprints, on whatever space they live in. Originally, I thought a nice white kitchen would be the best for them, as the space is in a basement and it would make it look brighter. But my mom does not want white cabinets due to those handprints. She wants black appliances as well. We'll probably be doing an Ikea kitchen, and I thought maybe black upper cabinets with a light wood base cabinet. My stepfather never uses anything in the bottom cabinets, so they could be lighter. But my mother would prefer a dark color up top so that she doesn't have to constantly be cleaning on the daily. We're thinking quartz for the counters and a white backsplash to brighten the space. I've looked on Pinterest and I found some beautiful combinations with a light wood base and a black top. But I am asking for your advice on any other possible combinations that would work. I would like to stay with neutral colors as opposed to trendy colors, as it will probably not get updated for another 15 years. Thank you so much, Bobby. 
All right. Well, I do have strong opinions, and I do think that IKEA has some beautiful cabinet options. I think that they would be a great place to start, but there is a company called semihandmade.com, and they will have a large selection of cabinet fronts that fit IKEA cabinets so that you have more selection to choose from than just IKEA. Of course, that'll raise the price a little bit, but it may be worth that investment to be able to choose from a broader range of colors than the limited selection that IKEA offers. However, if we're just looking at Ikea, I do have some thoughts. I love the idea of doing a two-tone kitchen. It depends like how much is already going on in that space. If there's a lot going on, a two-tone kitchen can make it look more chaotic, especially if it's a small kitchen. It can look sort of cluttery and fractured and odd versus just looking clean and classic and simple. So I would wonder how big this kitchen is, how nice the basement is. If it's a little bit dubious down there, I would just do the kitchen in all one color. But two-tone, one-tone, I'm open. My first thought would be that a wood tone would be really nice on either the uppers, lowers, or both. But you do want to consider the flooring throughout the space. So if you're kind of thinking about the light wood from Ikea, but the flooring in an open or adjacent space is a mid or dark tone wood, then I think it's a problem and looks incongruous and not cohesive. I would consider also the flooring in the kitchen. Are you going to continue that same flooring from the living space, whether it's like a a fake wood or a real wood? Are you going to continue that into the kitchen or is there going to be a tile floor? If so, you need to think about how the tile, which ultimately touches the bottom cabinets, will look next to that. I typically don't do very dark tile or very light tile in either a kitchen or a bathroom because very dark, like black or navy, shows every piece of hair, lint, dust bunny, and every light or white color, like white or even ivory, shows, again, every stain hairs, etc. So sticking in that mid-tone value for the floors is always a safe bet. And then coordinating the wood tone that you choose with any wood tone that may be in the space that it's open to. Then we wonder, what is that other cabinet color going to be? If we're sticking with the two-tone and we can't do white because mom says no white, which I think makes perfect sense, what are we going to do? Of course, the semi-handmade has lots of color options, But Ikea has just a few. I would steer clear of black because you've mentioned that you're going to be doing black appliances and it's going to feel dark, heavy, and maybe even dated. Ikea has a lovely taupe color. They also have some very interesting color colors that you may want to consider. They have like a beautiful silver sage, a kind of playful aqua teal. They have some grays that are quite interesting. But Ikea is very limited in terms of the style coordinating with the color because you also want to think about the style of the space. I'm just guessing that potentially your parents aren't completely contemporary because you know, typically older people skew more transitional. And I hate to generalize, but that's just what we find here at Affordable Interior Design. Uh, Now, Affordable Interior Design by Uploft, by the way. We're in the middle of that rebrand. 
So there's that. Even I would look at the architecture of the space. Unless the home is very, very contemporary, I would be considering, even for myself, who has contemporary taste, doing something more transitional, like a shaker front, which has sort of that framing around the edge. And Ikea has lots of selections in the shaker front, which I think would be a more workable style for different styles, depending on what your parents are into. Those would be my thoughts. I would pick the floor and the cabinets and the appliances before you pick the countertops. And I would make sure that the countertops have some stuff going on, some kind of patterning or veining, so that they can conceal those fingerprints and any spills and stuff like that from cooking. And I love your idea of doing a white, bright backsplash because this space is getting a little dark with those black appliances and with the darker cabinet fronts. I worry about that in any space, but certainly I worry about it in a basement. So that's my two cents, and I think that'll get you on the right path. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and the Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips, things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to get your bundle or your online class today. My next question comes from Michelle. Michelle is writing from Northern California. She says, Betsy, I would love help knowing what to do with this quote unquote bar area. I don't want to display liquor or bottles. What do I do with the seating area, which sits right next to it? And what do I do with the big long wall to break everything up in this zone? Maybe a mirror? Okay, Michelle, so you sent in some great pictures, which are helping to illustrate the situation. And as I click through them here, you have a very mid-century modern space. It looks like it came right out of the 60s, which is, of course, a style I love. But you have some tile flooring that looks overall to be like a gray speckle. And you have a beautiful walnut tone wood ceiling walnut tone wood trim. You have like a rich green backsplash in your kitchen, which opens up into this kind of sitting area slash bar zone. Now you're calling this a bar, but to me, it's not necessarily a bar. It doesn't scream that vibe. There is one side that has a glass front cabinet on the bottom. It has enclosed cabinets. Certainly that could read bar, but it doesn't have to. It could also read 
hutch display shelf. Then on the other side, there's kind of this strange opening that's equidistant in terms of size, but it doesn't have any doors on it. So it's open with two exposed shelves at the top, no exposed shelves at the bottom. You've inserted a wood tone credenza in this wood tone sort of vacant space. It's again, sort of a walnut wood that's a very close match to the surroundings. And you've put like a record player and some speakers on there, which I think is a super fun vibe. However, I think this area needs to be more considered and more intentional. And I think that it needs to be more holistic with the rest of the space. You do have this sitting area that appears to be right next to it. So you need to be considering what are people looking at? What is the function of the space in this zone, right? Are we in the dining area? From the pictures, I can't really tell where this bar space lands. If it's close to the bar area, if it's more close to the seating area, it's unclear to me. Or did I say if it's close to the dining area? Hopefully I said that. So it's unclear to me where this falls. But when you've got a weird sort of niche in your home, an area that you just don't know what to do with, you want to ask yourself, what's it around, right? What's it next to? Is it next to my home office? Well, then I style it with functionality that lends towards that. Is it next to my dining room? Well, then let me style the upper part as a hutch with maybe some beautiful dishware, some vases, and then, you know, take advantage of the other space to also kind of enhance that vibe. No matter what the function is that you foresee for this zone, I would consider a couple of things. One option is to remove the credenza. Well, that's a must, right? That little credenza you've inserted into the bottom of the right-hand side just looks random. Uh, remove that. Put it somewhere else. I love that it's mid-century modern, but it's ill-fitting and awkward. I would consider making additional shelves so just buying more shelving and inserting it in the void so that way you have open shelving on one side and this sort of hutch type idea on the other side. I think that could be a really nice look that could offer you different types of display. You could style it with baskets, books, picture frames. Just don't make it too cluttery because it's got some wood paneling behind there and then there's more wood paneling on the wall. So there's a lot going on here and I feel like it's looking a little cluttery and it's not looking so sophisticated. Another thing that might be nice, depending on sort of the structural integrity of things, is maybe we want to remove the doors on the left-hand side the mirror, I'm sorry, not the mirrored, the glass doors, as well as the opaque wood panel doors on the bottom, just remove them. Wood fill in the gaps from the hinges, stain it all because it looks like it's in need of some fresh stain or a little love, and then treat the two sides identically. Uh, in fact, maybe you can even separate that middle partition, just remove that and make nice elongated shelves. So the moment is much more simple. If you decide to do that, I think it would be really cool to lose the wood paneling behind there altogether since there is so much paneling. I mean, even the ceiling is paneled. And it could be fun to do some kind of wallpaper back there, to do some kind of colorful paint treatment. A couple episodes back, I talked about how to cover wood paneling in a really easy way. And there's a thick wallpaper 
that you can apply to the back of this that will cover the grooves in the wood paneling without having to remove it. It's such an affordable fix. And then you could either apply more wallpaper on top of that liner, that thick wallpaper liner. You could add a decorative wallpaper on top or you could paint on top. That would turn this what I'm going to say is an eyesore. I know, Michelle, I'm sorry. It, it kind of is. That would transform this eyesore into something really special, almost a wow moment. If you don't want to remove the doors on the left-hand side, you could still do the paint treatment behind both sides. I think that would still really brighten and freshen the space. But the number one thing I would do, I would do this with such a quickness, Michelle, is you need to replace the knobs that are on those doors that I spoke about. The top knobs on the glass doors are currently round. The bottom knobs on the wooden panel doors are currently like a cylinder. And the thing I hate about any knob that is not round, whether it's oval, triangle, square, cylindrical, the thing I hate about it is you can always tell from a mile away, if it's crooked, if it's turned a little bit. In this case, I can clearly tell that one of your knobs is turned and I can't stop looking at it. It's like a train wreck. I just can't look away. So I definitely want you to fix that. That is a $3 Home Depot fix and it will immediately freshen and make this space look updated. I would stick with the same tone because you want to match with the hinges. So don't go too bold with these new round knobs, but that is an easy and quick change that you should make today if you choose to keep those doors. That's my two cents, Michelle. When you write in, careful what you wish for because I'm going to tell you what I think. Let's get to my last question for today. My last question is from Oregon and Heather is writing in. Hi, Betsy, you answered one of my questions recently and I know it was good advice, but I am afraid it only left me with more questions. I want to add color to my living room and from the pictures, you said that I was having a design style crisis. So I don't wanna move forward in any direction until I have a firm idea of what that direction exactly is. I've decided to step back and start in my kitchen because that opens up to our living room. Obviously, the kitchen is less flexible because of the many elements that are already fixed. I thought if I could pinpoint my two-word phrase for that room, then it would make the living room direction so much more clear. Do they need to be the exact same phrase or just related? My style is, or I'm sorry, my problem is I'm not sure what style I'm really seeing in this kitchen either. I have lots of wood tones that warm up the space and balance all of the white. So that makes me think it's rustic. I have a natural wood range hood, although I really consider that more of an art piece than something that's rustic. The lighting feels very industrial or maybe even modern farmhouse. The metal dining chairs also feel industrial. The island chairs and armchairs have a mid-century modern line. The vertical tile I feel could be mid-century or even modern. And the rug has a tribal vibe. To me, I know you're going to suggest that under a dining table, I, I should not Oh, 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 I should have a rug, but I'm having a hard time committing to one with the mini spills we experienced during dinner. Also, you had previously said the pendant lights were too low, but they are at 33 inches, which is what you suggest. We have lower ceilings, so visually that might throw you off a bit. Is there a word or a style that you feel like encapsulates my kitchen, or is that in crisis also? 
Would you change something out to give it a more cohesive and consistent feel? I really love my kitchen, but I want to keep an open mind so I can have a clearer vision for the rest of the house. Thank you for all your help and all your ideas. All right, I do have help and I do have ideas for you, Heather. You sent in some beautiful pictures. And guys, if you're wanting to envision the description that Heather has shared or how I tried to describe Bobby's space, well, you'll want to go over to our YouTube channel affordable interior design on YouTube. And there you can see a video of this episode. You can see what I look like. You can see what I'm wearing now that I'm podcasting and you can see their imagery. So it'll really help to illustrate and bring these situations to life because otherwise you've got to muddle through with my description. Even though Heather, in your case, I think you gave a beautiful description of your fabulous kitchen. I think your kitchen is awesome. And I would not change much in here at all. There's a couple things I'm saying, of course, that I can guide you with. But overall, you have white shaker front cabinets. You've heard me describe shaker earlier in this episode. On the bottom, you have like a walnut tone shaker front cabinet. They have elongated brass poles. Then you do have what I would definitely call a rustic hood above the range. You have subway tile that's stacked vertically, and it's like a rustic type glaze subway tile. And then on the island, you do have like this beautiful gray, very veined marble or quartz. It is gorgeous. And it is a big visual element in the space because it's also the countertop. Then for me, it's the stools that start to cause a problem. And it's the pendant lights that start to cause a problem. Now that I know that they're 36 inches, I'm sorry, 33 inches from the top of the countertop on the island to the bottom of the fixture, that's good. But I think it's because the pendant itself is so tall, thus the um, cord is so short. I think that is actually what's causing the problem. This very short cord with this very tall glass pendant just feels a little disproportionate. Is it a huge problem? No. Is it my favorite look? No. Uh, Should you change it out? Maybe, because also you've got brass throughout this space, whether it be the faucet or those beautiful elongated poles that make quite a statement. You've also got stainless steel appliances, which can really go with anything, so don't feel locked in. But then these fixtures are solely bronze. If they were two-tone, if they were bronze with some brass, I'd feel them. I'd be excited about them or more excited about them. I still wouldn't be excited about them because they're too tall for the space, but that's okay. Uh, But it's that you haven't introduced this bronze anywhere else. When I'm going to use two different metal metal finishes in a space, when I'm going to use dark as well as warm metals, I make sure to choose at least one prominent piece that features both metals, that is a two-tone piece. So that way I'm visually telling people, hey, I'm going to be mixing these throughout the space. I'm setting the rules here by giving you this prominent focal point that shows you what I'm intentionally doing, rather than randomly keeping these bronze pendants and introducing brass. The other thing I do not like in the space is that the stools are kind of a darker wood and they're right underneath this wood island. So it's wood on wood and it's not even woods that particularly coordinate. And then the flooring is also wood, which is kind of a lighter rustic flooring. And it's just a lot of wood. Keep the lighter rustic flooring because nobody wants to change that out. But these stools are just too dark, too wood, 
incongruous, not working. You could paint them a color. I think that would be really fun. You could even paint them black so that something else besides these random pendants are not the only things that are black. Uh, Those are a couple of ideas of how you could reuse the stools because I do like the shape and scale of them. But I think because the flooring is so rustic, and when I say rustic, it's you can see that visible wood grain. You can see that it's kind of a natural tone. It doesn't feel overly stained like an ebony, nor does it feel like it has a colorful stain. It feels really like it's in its natural rustic state. And the hood above the range also feels very rustic, even though it is so beautiful and so powerful, but it's still beautiful and powerful in a rustic way. Rustic is definitely a style that is happening here, whether you like it or not. And rustic is happening here in a very contemporary way. But here's the thing. Rustic should definitely be a through line in any space that this kitchen opens up into. But it's that secondary word, how you want to feel in the space that might change from area to area or room to room, right? Because how I want to feel in a kitchen may be very different than how I want to feel in the adjoining living room, may be very different than how I want to feel in the adjoining family room. Ideally, they wouldn't be that much of a departure, right? The feeling words may be subtly different from room to room. Or if you want to keep the two-word phrase the exact same throughout the whole, say, bottom floor, what you would do is then use that 60-30-10, but change up the amounts. So when I'm referencing the 60-30-10, I'm talking about color palette, right? Those three Roy G. Biv colors that you're going to be using throughout the space. So maybe in the kitchen, you would use them in sort of one variation, like let's just say we did... 30%, uh, I'm sorry, let's say we did 60% charcoal gray. Looking at the other things that are in this space, we did 30% of like a muted magenta or maybe it's like a burgundy. I'm trying to get a sense of this tribal rug. And then you did like 10% pops of say a russet orange, which I'm seeing in the living room, okay? So say that was your 60, 30, 10 in the kitchen. Well, in the living room, which is adjacent, you would just mix it up. So now your 60% would be that burgundy or the magenta, whatever that vibe is. I can't really tell. Your 30% could be that charcoal gray and your 10% could again be the russet orange or your 30% could be the russet orange and your 10% pops could be that gray. So there's ways to kind of shake things up and make a space feel cohesive without making it feel identical. But I think right now, the pieces of furniture in the adjacent rooms, like the dining room, do feel totally random. There are mid-century pieces, there are industrial pieces, there are rustic pieces, there are contemporary pieces. And so we need to pick a side. And the flooring, right, that rustic wood I talked about, and the kitchen have already picked a side with the rustic. Now, rustic and industrial have a lot of parallels because you're using materials in sort of their primal state. You're not overly fashioning or carving or fancying up these materials when you're talking rustic. And that's the same treatment that the materials are getting in the industrial style. So I think the chairs really work. I think the chandelier, or I guess I should describe the chairs for those of you listening to the podcast. They're like a metal bronze chair 
Uh, it's a very popular style. They used to have these chairs at Pottery Barn. They were called the Tolix chair, T-O-L-I-X. But these are a very famous, popular chair. You can get anywhere from overstock to, like I said, Pottery Barn to even design within reach. And they have a very cool rustic vibe. And I think your chandelier also has a cool rustic vibe. It is all bronze. It's like a black type bronze, whereas the chairs have a warm undertone to them. It has glass as well as Edison bulbs in the chandelier. So I think it gives that vibe. Do I tend to put a chandelier that's the same texture as the dining chairs above a table? Of course, you know I don't. Because if you're a listener to this podcast, which I think you said you were, Heather, based on the confusion you had before, then you will know that I love to layer materials and make sure that when I've got one moment, and this is your dining table moment that has a wood table, metal chairs, the chandelier that I would pick would not be wood and it would not be metal. It may have small elements of those materials, but overall it would read different. Like maybe I'd use one that has a lot of crystals, right? Because then it's primarily glass. Or maybe I'd use a fabric chandelier, one that has like that fabric type shade. So that way it's more of a fabric moment or even a colorful chandelier. There's lots of directions to go while avoiding it be primarily the texture of the chairs or the table. So here's a little bit of insight for you, Heather. I know that you may still be a little confused, but it's because the pieces you're using are confused and it's time for you to pick a side. And the sideboard behind the dining table doesn't belong really on any of these sides. It is definitely traditional. It's super cute. I just love it. Do I love it in here? No, it's introducing yet another wood tone and the table is yet a different wood tone. And I'm just feeling like even though everything is nice, I enjoy each of your pieces separately. There is a lack of cohesion that concerns me. You mentioned, Heather, that me answering your question has opened up a can of worms in which you have more questions. And of course, now you know that I want you to send those questions in because the mailbag is now officially empty. Please go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash podcast. Send me your questions. Wear your masks. Have a wonderful week and stay safe, everyone. I'm thinking of you all and it's so great to be back with you. Bye. You've asked for it, and we have answered the call. For years, you've been saying, Betsy, you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about.
A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.